Good morning and welcome. Um, it is good to gather together in the house of the Lord. Um, just a, a, one announcement to kind of highlight. Um, this evening we have a lot of youth activities, young adults, young marrieds, young peoples. Um, do note that the young adults will meet at the Barnes home this morning. This is normally the week for, um, for meeting at the Snellers, um, but we swapped. So um, don't drive all the way down there and find it was the wrong place. Um, it is good to gather for worship, but especially given the busyness of our lives, if we are to focus on the Lord and honor Him, It's got to be by his blessing. So let's open our time together by seeking the Lord in a moment of prayer. We'll pray silently and then together. Lord, your goodness is beyond measure. You have gathered us here as your people, that we might hear your word and proclaim your praises. Remove from us all errant thoughts, all distractions that would keep us from being blessed by you as you intend, and from giving you the glory and the honor that you so richly deserve. And Father, we thank you for this day of rest and refreshment. May all that we do this day honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us this morning to worship with these words from Isaiah 42. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. Amen. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us uh, praise Him together in song from Trinity Psalter Hymnal 33. Psalm 33 will sing stanzas 1, 4, and 5.
declares God to His people, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And perhaps at times we look at these commands and we think, well, we're doing okay. Haven't killed anybody lately. Haven't committed adultery. Don't steal. But then we come to that last commandment. You shall not covet. House. Or wife. Or manservant or maidservant or anything. And the Lord asks, have you killed someone in your heart desiring their death? Have you lusted after your neighbor committing adultery in your heart? Have you longed to steal that thing that you couldn't afford to buy committing the sin without actively doing it? Has your heart been wholly true? Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength? Have you loved your neighbor even in the same way that you love yourself? And when we look at the law in that light, and when we look at the inverse of the law and ask, well, though I haven't killed, have I gone and preserved and upheld and strengthened the life of my neighbor. Though I haven't stolen, have I given of what is mine to those who are in need? And that's just looking at the second table, much less the first. Perhaps I've not made a graven image, but have I wholeheartedly, earnestly, and eagerly worshipped God in the way that I should? Perhaps I haven't misused God's name, but have I used God's name in a way that leads me to confess Him before all the world boldly and broadly? 
And when we look at the law in that comprehensive sense, both outwardly and inwardly, well, then it humbles us. And it demands that we confess that our hope before God lies not in us, but in Him. That we trust not my hands, but the hands of Christ. Not my deeds, but the merits of Christ. So let us confess together that our hope is in the Lord. That our trust is in Him as we sing together, number 128 from our Psalter hymnal, a rendering of Psalm, part of Psalm 69. We'll sing all the stanzas as our confession. Speaking to those who thus trust in the Lord, God long ago promised that He would send His servant, speaking of Jesus His Son, as the one who would restore us, lift us up, and reconcile us to our God. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. 
He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the lowlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. That is why Jesus came. To take we who were in prison with our sin who dwelt in the darkness of a broken and rebellious world to bring us out into freedom, into light, into life that we might be reconciled to God. This is what Christ has done. And it's in the light of that freedom that we enter into God's presence. Now, next week, we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And in preparation for that, I'd like to read with you the the preparatory form. Um, You can read along if you'd like in our Forms and Prayers book, page 44. And this is just a reminder that as we draw near to the table of the Lord, we should do so having prepared our hearts and our minds that we might partake intentionally and rightly. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, We are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Therefore you should examine your life, and considering your own sin and the wrath of God upon or against it, be sure that you humble yourself in repentance before God. Examine your heart to be sure that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that your sins are forgiven wholly by grace because of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. And finally, examine your conscience to be sure that you resolve to live in faith and obedience before your Lord and in love and peace with your neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of His Son all who truly repent of their sins, who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and who desire to do His will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life are warned, according to the command of God, to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin, and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners, and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Though we do not have perfect faith, Do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and do not love our neighbors as we ought, yet we are confident that our Savior accepts us at His table when we come in humble faith. 
with sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow him as he commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of our Lord. And we need to seek God's help in that. Before we do, however, just a couple of um, prayer concerns and updates. Um, we welcome today Luke Barnes as a member of the church. He comes to us from Covenant United Reformed Church in Pella. And uh, I'm particularly glad to have him here. But uh, make sure if you, if you haven't met Luke, make sure you do so. Um, in addition, we have... Wonderful news from the Weiringa family. Um, many of you know that they have been looking um, to and, and anticipating adopting uh, another little boy. And uh, Raylan Thomas was born a week ago today. Um, he was able to come home with the Weiringas midway through this past week. And uh, thus far the adoption process has been going well. But please pray for that. That's... Uh, that's always a concern and a care. Uh, pray that that process would go smoothly and, and that God would bless the Weiringas as they adjust to having an infant in the house. And uh, pray for the birth mother, that, that she might receive the comfort that she needs at this time also. Um, Dan Van Enns um, is scheduled to undergo another radiation treatment this Wednesday, and this is a, a different kind. Um, so they're not sure what the side effects will be to that. So please pray for Dan. Um, and then we have our congregational meeting on Tuesday, Lord willing. Um, so pray that God would use this meeting to reveal his will concerning whom he is calling to serve as elder and deacon. And that, uh, that he would be glorified as his people gathered together and, um, and seek his will as one. Beloved, let's pray. Almighty God. You who have given to us the gospel of Jesus Christ and who have provided for us a most wonderful communion with Him through Your holy sacrament. We confess that we need Your grace, that we might prepare our hearts aright for the reception of the Lord's Supper. We pray that for all who sincerely believe in Your Son and truly repent of their sins, that you would grant to them assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and to bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who have not yet repented of their sins, who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grant a restraining fear of the supper, lest their condemnation be made the greater. But have mercy upon these and grant them grace to repent of their sins and to seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, Father, that we have all offended your majesty and deserve your judgment. We've transgressed in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. Truly, there is no strength in us. But be merciful, O God, and grant us your pardon, that we might come to the sacrament in the joy of your forgiving love. And Father, we come before you with all the needs that weigh upon us as well.
We pray for our members who are dealing with long-term ailments. We think of Dan as he prepares to undergo a new radiation treatment this week, Lord. We pray that you would cause it to be effective and helpful, that you would minimize the side effects, and that you would provide the encouragement and the comfort that Dan and Kathy need at this time. We pray likewise for uh, Joel as he uh, undergoes various treatments for his leukemia. We pray that you would comfort and strengthen both him and Maggie in that process. We pray for Sherry as she deals with the swelling in her retina. We ask that you would strengthen her and, and Marv in those treatment processes. Also Keith and Lori as they've been dealing with long-term ailments with Parkinson's and dementia and, and other effects, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. And Lord, we pray for other members who are dealing with, uh, with ailments, both long-term and, and seasonal. We pray that you would comfort and bless and uh, provide healing. We think of Loretta Barnes, who's been uh, brought low this past week with a, a cold. We pray that you would provide strength for her. Lord, we pray for our members who are uh, pregnant and those who are preparing for marriage, that you would uh, bless them in that and that you would encourage them. Uh, we pray for those who are uh, grieving, those who are struggling in their marriages and other relationships, those who are at odds with their children or with their parents, Lord, we pray for each that you would provide for them as only you are able. That you would show forth your strength where theirs has fallen short. That they might confess that their hope and their strength, both for eternity and for this very moment, are found in you. We pray for the wearing of family. Lord, thank you for bringing Raylan Thomas into their, fam into their family. We pray that you would continue to strengthen and bless him as you have thus far. That you would uh, encourage and provide for them as they seek to raise him up to know and serve you. We pray that the, the adoption process would go well. And we pray for the, uh, the birth mother. That you would comfort and strengthen her. Giving her the assurance that she needs at this time. And the support that she craves. Father, we pray for this congregation, that you would bless us, especially as we have a congregational meeting this coming week. Grant us unity and strength and a continual reminder that you are with us, that you are guiding and, and uh, directing us in the way that we should go. Use the deliberation and vote of the congregation to reveal whom you have set apart for the work of elder and the work of deacon. Provide encouragement for those men as well as for those men not selected at this time. And Lord, we thank you for raising up men in our midst whom you have been equipping and preparing to serve in these ways. We pray that you would continue to equip our men to that end, that they might serve you by serving your church. And we pray that you would use those whom you call, not by their strength or their wisdom, but by yours to bless and build up and equip the church for the works of ministry. Lord, you have blessed us as a congregation immensely. And we pray that you would continue to turn our hearts to you. 
leading us to serve you by our confession, by our gifts, by our all. Lord, we pray for our loved ones who are struggling. We ask that you would enable us to minister to them and to build them up. We think in particular of uh, Jim Walthorn, Marv and Sherry's brother-in-law as he uh, deals with a resurgence of his cancer. We pray for um, Marcia, Judy's sister-in-law, as she deals with the effects of her cancer, and, and Travis's cousin Nick, um, looking to the treatment of, of cancer for him as well. We pray for healing and strength and encouragement for each of these, Lord. Also for Beth's mom, Cheryl, that you would comfort her as, as her body grows weak, that you would strengthen her heart and her faith. And Lord, there are so many others. We lay them before you. We pray that you would provide the comfort and the strength for each one. We pray for our shut-in members who can't visit with, or can't worship with us. Uh, Lord, give them the encouragement. Uh, surround them with the blessings that they need. Uh, we pray for our distant members also. For Peter and Greta, for Nathan and Calvin, for... Uh, Joanna, and for others, Lord, we pray that you who know the hearts and the situations of all, that you would provide for them. For Juliana also, Lord, we ask that you would um, draw each of these close to you, put the people in their lives uh, whom they need. Lord, we pray for our children, that they might hear your word, and that it might get rooted deeply within their hearts. That their catechism lessons might fall as well-sown seed on prepared earth. Growing up within them that their faith might be strong. We pray that you would bless their schooling. That they might learn all their lessons about history and mathematics and grammar and all of these topics that they're learning, that they might recognize that all of this ultimately is a study of your work and of your provision, that they might be equipped in every subject to testify to your goodness and your grace. And Father, cause all of us to delight in you to delight in who you are and what you have done and how you have called us to love and serve you. May you be glorified through this, your people. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the whole of this day, that in our worship, in our learning, in our fellowship, in our rest, we might turn our eyes and our hearts to you. Father, we ask all of this now. In Jesus' name. Oh, and Lord, we ask also that you would bless Luke. Thank you for bringing him among us and uh, making him to be part of this church. Make him to be a blessing and to be blessed among us. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look to God's word together, let's, um, let's stand and sing a rendering of Psalm 16, which we find in selection 21. We'll sing all the stanzas of 21.
Our scripture reading this morning is uh, from Genesis chapter 38, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Now, just a a note on this chapter. Um, The passage before us is an important one um, that God gave us relating His grace shown to those who were of the line of Christ. However, it also includes just a bit of sensitive subject matter. So in recognition of that, I do intend to um, summarize one sentence in um, verse 9, just to be sensitive to the little ears among us. Um, Yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her and conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chazib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would stop short so as to not give offspring to his brother." And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house, till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And while, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear the sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat down at the entrance to Eniam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her uh, at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went in to her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Aniam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I've not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things, the things as her own, or I shall be laughed at. You see, I, you see, I sent the young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, 
since I did not give her my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Amen. <clears throat> Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes the greatest of the blessings we receive are those that remain for a time hidden. Think of gifts, which at this time of the year begin to appear in our homes, beautifully wrapped with ribbons and bows, promising something even greater than the beauty of the wrapping on the outside when finally they're opened. Some of the men among us appreciate cars and trucks and machinery, not so much because of the, the paint and the chrome that's on the outside, but because of the power and the potential that's on the inside, hidden within. And of course, women, what could be a greater blessing than the one for which we wait with great longing for nine months before finally we're able to hold and cuddle that blessing sent by God. Each of those examples reminds us that what we see may fail to tell the full story. Often the greatest blessing arises from that for which we must wait until what is hidden is revealed. And so it was with Tamar. For years, Tamar had longed to be with child. She'd been eager to bear a son, not just because of her maternal instinct, but because she recognized children as a blessing from the true God. Tamar knew that God had promised countless children to the, the family into which she had married. And she knew that among those offspring would come the son the one he promised at the very start, who would rescue his people from the evil enemy, from Satan, and from the sin that he had brought into the world. Finally, Tamar was with child. The wait for that day of childbirth must have seemed endless. But finally the day arrived, the midwife appeared, labor commenced in earnest, and then came forth a hand. The hand of her son, not ideal, but a sign that the end was at hand. Soon the hand was withdrawn, and then a head. But not the head of that child. The head of his brother comes forth after a struggle within. The child is named Perez, breaking forth. And then comes his brother, finally, Zerah. And Perez... In his breaking forth past his brother who sought to stop him, who sought to intervene, who sought to come first, come first, Perez became an image, really, of the faith of his mother. An image of one who was undaunted, one who was going to seek the blessing before him even when others sought to prevent it. We'll get there. But we don't start there. Instead, we start with the woman. 
A mother who is hidden, concealed, concealed from the eyes of a faithless man who held her future in his hand. God unveils Tamar as a hidden mother of Christ, one we don't often think of, but whose story holds some serious and important lessons for us. And we see her first as the mother concealed from Abraham's faithless son. Understand, Tamar was a Canaanite woman. That means that she grew up in an unbelieving home, a Gentile, an unbeliever from a long line of unbelievers. And yet, by God's grace, Tamar was blessed to marry into a covenant family, the family that God had set apart for himself, not because they were so great or because they were somehow sinless. They weren't. We'll see that this evening, by the way, with some passages we read from Deuteronomy. They had nothing to commend themselves in and of themselves, but God in His grace had chosen them and given them great promises. Now this passage, contextually, in Genesis, comes right after the abduction of Joseph. That's important. Kids, you remember that story, right? Joseph was the favorite son of his father Jacob. And his brothers hated him for it absolutely despised him. And he didn't help matters by relaying to them his dreams that indicated that he would be the one with power, that they would all bow before him. And they hated him all the more. And so at the culmination of this story, they resolved to get rid of this one whom they hate. Demonstration of absolute depravity. They throw him in a pit they sell him to traveling merchants who take him down to Egypt where he'll be sold into slavery. And meanwhile, they take his torn and bloody garment and they use it to convince his father that he has been eaten by wild beasts. Terrible, wicked behavior. Well, after that demonstration of the unworthiness and the, the wickedness of the covenant sons, after that we focus on Judah. Judah moves south to the lowlands that would later, interestingly, become Judea. There he befriends one of the men of the region, an unbeliever. And kids remember that bad company corrupts good character, as Paul tells us. Judah, having befriended an unbeliever, marries the daughter of an unbeliever and focuses on growing his wealth and his flocks. Eventually he has sons. The firstborn Ur, the second Onan, the third Shelah. And he takes a wife for his firstborn, and that's Tamar. That's the focus of our story. But problem was Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in God's sight. Now he doesn't tell us any details, he doesn't tell us what Ur had done, but he does tell us that in judgment Ur was killed leaving Tamar a widow. Now, that was a double tragedy. It was a tragedy that he was killed in judgment, but it was a tragedy also that one of the sons of the covenant now is removed from the covenant line. His name is about to be erased from history. And so Judah does something that's an act of faith. He takes Tamar and he gives her as wife to Onan, his second son. 
The idea being that Onan is to love her and keep her as his wife, but the first child they have together will be counted as Ur's son. That this son might carry on his line, his name. But Onan also was wicked. He didn't want, for one reason or another, whether out of simple greed or stubbornness, he didn't want one of his children to be counted as his brothers. And so he acts to prevent Tamar from becoming pregnant. This is wicked in God's sight, and so God kills Onan also. Now there's one more son, Shelah, and Tamar is promised that he would become her husband. But Shelah's young, so Judah says, just wait a while until he matures. Now Tamar is willing to wait because she longs for that son, but understand that she didn't long for the son for some carnal reason, right? She wasn't just looking for the inheritance. She wasn't trying to improve her lot in society. The way she acts, the things she does, and the fact that this story is included in God's Word tells us that she had her eyes set on something far higher. Whether by Ur or Onan or more likely through Judah, she had learned about God and about his covenant, and about his promises. She had learned that God promised to bless his people with a multitude of offspring, and that through those offspring would come the Son, the offspring, the one through whom humanity would be saved, by whom the world would be transformed. And she longed to be part of that. She knew that if she remained in her father's house, among unbelievers, she would not be counted as one of the covenant offspring. And in faith, she wanted more than that. So she was eager. She was earnest. But time passed. Shayla grew up. And she was not given as his wife. Judah faltered. We have no reason to doubt that he was a believer, but believers also backslide. Believers also stumble into fear. It's interesting that one of the most common things that Jesus said when he was walking among men, ministering among men, was do not fear, right? Because he knew that we're a fearful lot. Judah had seen two of his sons killed in judgment. Both of them had been married to Tamar. He's thinking, I'm not superstitious, but bad things happen when. And so he delays, he withholds. Tamar sees this, and she knows Judah. She knows that this is wrong, that Judah's not keeping his word as he ought to. She also knows that if things continue, she will die an old maid in an unbeliever's house not having partaken of, not having been counted as a, a beneficiary of the promises. And so she acts. Judah is now a widower. She has heard, she knows him, she knows his character, she knows his patterns, and she hears that he's getting ready to go up to Timnah to shear the sheep. So hearing that, she devises a plan. She takes off the clothing of widowhood, which was likely uh, some version of sackcloth. She dresses up as immoral women of the age would, 
including a veil to cover her face, which, by the way, was, was common among prostitutes, among women of the night. And she takes up a place along his path. Soon Judah arrives. Now, we needn't reveal the details of their meeting, but suffice it to say, the result is that she is pregnant. And Judah has no idea what her identity was. What's more, she has proof of the father's identity. She has secured from Judah as a promise of payment his signet and cord, which is the ancient equivalent of his driver's license, and his staff, which is an item that would have been absolutely well known among the shepherds with whom he kept company. Her plan has worked, and she returns to her father's house putting on the clothing of her widowhood. Now let's be clear, what Tamar did, the deed that she committed was sinful. There can be no denying that. She had known a man intimately outside of marriage, that's a sin. That sin was compounded by the fact that he was her father-in-law. That act was sinful, it was condemnable, and Tamar knew it. However, wonder of wonders, despite the sinfulness of what she did, God blessed her through it. That's amazing to me. But it shouldn't be, should it? Because we're sinful people. Our lives are filled with sin. And how many times in the life of every single person in this room have we not seen how we acted unfaithfully and yet God turned it around and brought a blessing that made us sit back in wonder, absolutely stunned and convinced that God's grace is beyond our wildest imagination and that there is absolutely nothing that we've done to deserve what we've been given. God blessed Tamar, not because of her sin, contrary to her sin, despite her sin. But she acted, she acted, hear this, because she longed for the blessings. She acted wrongly, she acted condemnably, but she longed for the blessings of the covenant. She longed for the blessings that God had promised, which Judah had withheld. Now, God does not call us to, you know, be a Tamar. You know, her sin was sin. But God does call us to cherish the promises He's given, to long for the blessings He has extended with the same fervor, with the same passion that Tamar had. That's where she is to be imitated, in the longing she had for the blessings, for the promises of God's covenant. Well, Tamar acted boldly. We can't deny that. And although her sin was concealed, it was guaranteed to be revealed. And that's the second thing we see here, that she's revealed as Abraham's faith-filled daughter. We read in verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. Now, Judah, as the head of his clan takes it upon himself to pronounce judgment. Now, it's interesting that he pronounces judgment. Even though he had not been caring for her, he regards himself as her spiritual head. 
even though he has committed her into the care of her unbelieving family, which is another evidence of his falling short. Now understand that Tamar knew this day had to come when she came up with the plan. Because, of course, pregnancies always reveal themselves, and being a widow, it would be obvious that her conception was not moral. And she had to know that the punishment ordered by Judah would be harsh. But she trusted God to make it come out right in the end. Now, folks, that does not make sense. Humanly speaking, it does not make sense. You don't put yourself in a situation that's guaranteed to get you the death penalty and just hope that God's going to get you out of it. I mean, everything about her plan indicated that Judah's going to find out that he's the father. He's going to find out exactly what she did. And again, from the world's perspective, that's not going to help her case. He's going to want to hide the evidence of what he's done. But again, she's not acting according to the wisdom of men. She's acting out of faith. She's acting in a longing to get what God has promised her. We find ourselves in such situations. That is, situations where God, the way to God's promises seems to be contrary to the wisdom of the world, seems to be contrary to the wisdom of the situation. And the world says, don't you dare! How, how could you do that? That's the path to destruction. You've committed a crime, and the world says, fight it, deny it. Lie until you're blue in the face. But God says, confess your sins, and you'll be forgiven. The magistrate passes an unrighteous law that you're tasked with upholding. And the world says, hey, it's not your fault, he passed the law. But God says, do not advance that which is unrighteous, even though it costs you dearly. Or someone has hurt you. They've, they've offended you deeply. It's in your power to make the whole world know what they've done, but they've repented before you. They've sought your forgiveness. The world says, make them pay. Otherwise, they'll do it again. But God says, forgive them. And forgive them again and forgive them yet again. And we're called to trust God rather than men. We're called to trust Him even though our friends and our neighbors warn us of the cost. We're called to trust Him confident that He's the one who will bless us in the end. And sometimes that is incredibly hard. It's hard to confess your sin when you know that the cost will be great. It's hard to submit to the elders when you disagree with them. It's hard to forgive when you expect that you'll be hurt again. It's hard to seek reconciliation when you really want to get even. It is hard to follow God when we know that the consequences could be painful. But that's what Tamar did. And just as God did for Tamar, He will do for us. That is, He will deliver. Judah prescribed a harsh sentence. It's interesting that Judah prescribed a sentence that was harsher than what Moses would later prescribe in the law. Tamar was to become an example that all would talk about for generations to come. But she trusted God. And she continued in her plan. She sends a message to her father. Could you identify these items? Because I'm not the only one who's guilty here. The one to whom these belong. That's 
The man in this equation, and of course Judah immediately identifies the signet, the cord, the staff. We can only imagine the the confusion, the fear, the horror as the realization dawns upon him. And immediately he is faced with a choice, isn't he? Confess or cover up. Do I bury the evidence with her? Or do I confess to my own great shame? We know what the worldling would do. We know what the unbeliever would do. By by human standards, he has every reason to hide it all. And he has the power to do it. But God is bigger than human reason, isn't he? Suddenly, Judah finds himself where a group of Pharisees would later find themselves, as described in John 8, staring at a woman who has committed adultery, against whom they have passed sentence, but realizing that she is not the only guilty one in their midst. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. Her sin is worthy of death. But my sin is even more worthy. Because my sin was committed in simple lust and rebellion and unbelief. Her sin was committed out of desperation. Her sin was committed out of a longing for the promises that I had withheld from her. God humbled Judah that day and broke him. But in breaking Judah, God restored him and caused him to finally become a true man. Because the event, that le- the event led Judah to confess his sin. And he absolved Tamar of her guilt. And meanwhile, he repented of his own sin, refusing to commit the sin again. Finally, Judah is entrusting himself to God in a way that he had not before. And we see the reality of that. We see the truth of that a few chapters later in Genesis 44. Down in Egypt, facing a merciless judge whom he has not yet identified as his long-lost, long-offended brother, Judah offers to substitute himself for his brother Benjamin, to send himself to prison, possibly even to death, in order to deliver his brother in a way that he had not with his brother Joseph. Judah had finally learned to put God first, to trust God instead of himself. And that selfless act coming later showed that Judah had finally turned to the Lord wholeheartedly. That's the fruit of Tamar's unreasonable faith. Like Abraham before her, Tamar trusted God's promise instead of the wisdom of men. And for her trust, for her faith, God rewarded her well, not merely sparing her life, not merely giving her a part in the line of Christ, but also giving her her father-in-law, her mentor, her teacher, back full of faith. Isn't that amazing? And yet God wasn't done working in this amazing situation. Because 
her pregnancy passes. The labor pains grow serious. The midwife appears. And finally, we see Tamar rewarded by Abraham's heavenly father, which is our final point. Tamar gives birth to twins, two healthy boys. Now, all by itself, that's a huge blessing. Children are indeed a gift from the Lord. To bear a child, to bear an image bearer of God, that is a privilege that is absolutely amazing. But these two children are even more. From them would come more offspring in answer to God's promise. They would become large families, cities within Israel, cities and Families and multitudes would flow from them. And beyond that, one of them would become the the forefather of David, the king after God's own heart. And from him would come king after king after king until finally the king of kings, Jesus himself, God the Son, would come from this line. Brothers and sisters, this is how magnificently and generously and gloriously God rewarded the faith of of Tamar Again, a faith that was deeply imperfect, a faith that was wrapped up in sin, but a faith that looked to him and that rewarded her not according to what she deserved, but according to the, the merits of the one in whom she trusted. In that, we must follow her. To be sure, we're far from perfect. We're still wrapped up in sin. We're still filled with impure motives. But if we follow Christ, if we look to Him, if we act out of our longing for what He has obtained, God will bless us richly and beyond our wildest imagination. That we can be certain of. might not always look like it. Right? We might struggle at times wondering why we have to deal with this disease or why we have this strife in our families or why we uh, got fired from this job or wrestled to pay these bills. There might be valleys and hard times. But God will bless us through those also so that in the end we will stand with all the saints in glory around the throne proclaiming the majesty and the victory of Christ our Savior and of God our Heavenly Father. And a greater blessing than that is inconceivable. And this reward is even more, because this birth also is a picture. You see, in this birth, we see the faith of Tamar struggling against the unbelief that surrounds her. Picture what we see at the very end of this. Two infants struggling together in the womb. Perez struggles, longing to escape the confines, longing to enter fully into the world God has promised. But Zerah intrudes. He sticks his arm out, gets in the way. It's worth noting that Zerah is the forefather of a man named Achan, who almost destroyed Israel with his greed in taking from the spoils of Jericho that were to be devoted entirely and completely to God. And because of his greed, because of his theft, Israel was defeated at Ai. Israel was almost annihilated because of his wickedness and his unbelief. Achan's father Zerah seeks to intrude upon Perez. 
in that being a living image of unbelief. He is the picture of Judah's unbelief, denying Tamar both place and name in Israel. He is the picture of society's unbelief, warning that this plan is foolish, assuring her that she will die, she will be destroyed, whispering that God cares for her no more than Judah does. Zerah is the image of the unbelief that has surrounded Tamar. But Perez is the image of her faith, Undaunted by Zerah's intrusion, with great resolve he bursts past his brother, refusing to give up, entering into the light. The faith of Tamar, Perez, it bursts forth and obtains the triumph. The unbelief of Zerah, forefather of rebellious Achan, cannot stand before the faith of God's people. Beloved, those of this world will seek to prevent you from living for God. They will be Zerah in your life. Guaranteed. They will warn you that if you live according to the morality God has given, you will be passed over for promotions you will be taken advantage of. You will be scorned. They will try to slander you. They will try to bring you to nothing. But God is greater than this world. And their warnings are lies. So you must not let them derail you. You must stand firm on the word and the promise of our God. You must trust Him. Act for Him. Serve Him no matter what they say. And your faith must burst forth past their unbelief. As Perez burst forth past Tamar or past Zerah, seeking the blessing that Tamar sought. And beloved, you will receive it. You will receive it because he who promised is faithful and he does not overlook the faith of his saints. May God give us the faith of Tamar and may he receive all the glory and all the honor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are so great and so good. Using sinful people and their often sinful ways to reveal and to magnify the goodness and the greatness of your grace. Grant that we might see that, that we might recognize that and that we might hold fast to you undaunted by the unbelief of this world, confident that you who have called us are faithful and good and will never let us go. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, let us, um, let us confess the coming of the one who would eventually come forth from Tamar's line. As we stand and sing together, number 331, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we'll sing the first four stanzas of 331. The first four stanzas.
Let us pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have given us so richly of your abundance. We pray that you would receive the tithes and the offerings that we now bring as a token of our thanks and as a sign of our faith that you who have provided will provide both for body and for soul. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 406, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. Number 406.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.